Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 40. Welcome back. It's hard to believe that we've made it this far. 40 episodes. Thanks to all the listeners that have made this a successful podcast and to all of you, to many of you for providing such positive support for what we're doing here. Please follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist and please follow me on Twitter also at Cunning of Geist. The purpose of this podcast is to demonstrate that we have a mind, that this mind is free, and this freedom allows for purposeful activity to make the world a better place. In this episode, we're going to be discussing a big question, and that is this. Does the sole personality of an individual survive physical death? And if so, in what form? Now, by sole personality, I'm speaking of the part of you that thinks, emotes, that has its own wants and desires. And at death, we say that life leads the body. And if so, what is this life? You know, the body remains after death. If you weigh it right before death and right after death, it weighs the same. So what has left the body? Has anything left? This is what we will be discussing in this episode. We'll be looking first at reincarnation. It's a widely held belief in much of the world. We'll be discussing this. We'll next look at the uh, traditional Christian view, their take on this, uh, the view of heaven will be reviewed. I'll then be exploring Carl Jung's notion of the collective unconscious and how this theory might explain much of what is going on here. And I'll back this up as well with two current scientific conjectures, one from contemporary biochemist Rupert Sheldrake and his notion of morphic resonance and another from contemporary physicist Lee Smullen and his principle of precedence. And I'll explain how both these theories relate to Jung's collective unconscious and how this collective memory may explain much of this notion of reincarnation, past life memories, etc. And lastly, of course, as I always do, I will bring it back to our favorite philosopher, Hegel. Now, as I've done in the last few episodes, I'm going to start with my conclusion first and then get into the details. Now, this will be a little bit longer than what I've done in previous episodes in in discussing conclusions first, so bear with me. Now, regarding whether some part of us, our rational, emotional self, survives death, here's what I believe. I believe our body is a finite thing. It has a physical boundary in space. It also has a temporal boundary in time. We are created, we are born, we grow, we live, we age, and then we die. Our bodies are clearly finite in both time and space. I also believe that our minds, our soul personality, if you will, is also finite, but it is also infinite in a unique and special way. It's infinite in a true way, not in a false way from a Hegelian perspective. It is this very finiteness of our physical bodies in time and space that allows us to transcend ourselves to experience what Hegel calls true infinity. Now, we did an entire episode on true infinity in episode four. Now, I don't believe our soul personality continues on forever as its own entity. I don't believe it's its own separate being even when it's within the body. Therefore, since it's not its own separate being while in the body, it cannot be a separate thing after after death, either in heaven or through reincarnation. The continuing on forever is a false infinity, as Hegel teaches. And Hegel teaches that nature and mind operate as one thing, historically. 
Hegel teaches that spirit advances in a historical process, and we discussed this fully in episode 20. So what is this true infinity that we're talking about? Well, in this case, true infinity is using our soul personality, if you will, to make an impact now in this life, in this world, to go beyond the given, to make a difference. When we are born and our minds begin to develop, we are exposed to this historical process in its current state. Part of this exposure includes memory, and there's an objective history that we are taught. But there's also a psychological history, and Carl Jung wrote about this in his notion of the collective unconscious. So we are born into a world that has an objective history, events, wars, etc. But as I said, also a psychological history. Now, the psychological history is both external, such as in the art, religion, philosophy that we're exposed to, but there's also an internal psychological history as well. And Jung believed that we all inherit a psychological underpinning, and it's all the same for all of us, and it drives much of what we do and influences how we perceive things. So we are born with the body fine-tuned by evolution and a mind also fine-tuned by psychological evolution. Now, here's the key. During our life, we have the capability to add to this mental evolution. We, of course, can continue the physical evolution through procreation, but where it gets interesting is this. We can contribute to the ongoing development of spirit during our own lifetime. We can make a contribution. We can make a difference in the world we inhabit. This, I believe, is Hegel's notion of true infinity. We can either accept the world we've inherited or we can try to add to the collective mind. This is how we can shape the future and live on, so to speak. Our contributions will live on after the physical body is no more. And this is how we can achieve immortality, true infinity, true immortality, through adding to the psychological evolution of humanity while we are alive. That's my conclusion. Now let's get into some details. First, let's talk about the notion of reincarnation. And it's important that we talk about this. It's a very ancient concept that survives to this day. It's believed by a large percentage of the world, particularly in the East. Uh, It's a very logical concept that can explain good and bad events that happen to people through karma. And belief in it is advantageous to leading a just life. Just in the United States alone, it is estimated that some 33% of the population believe in reincarnation. That's pretty astounding. And um, in India and much of the East, the concept is ubiquitous. Now, this notion of reincarnation goes back as far as history itself. The ancient Egyptians believed in reincarnation and made the scarab beetle a symbol of, of rebirth. Plato talked about it in several of his works and even had Socrates say right before he was put to death, I'm confident that there truly is such a thing as living again and that the living spring from the dead. Pythagoras believed in reincarnation and believed he could remember past lives. Many Native American tribes also believed in reincarnation. Jewish mysticism, particularly the Kabbalah, teaches reincarnation. And uh, in more modern times, the notion of reincarnation has been kept alive. Theosophy teaches it. Anthroposophy, Rudolf Steiner's Anthroposity, teaches it. Rosicrucianism teaches it. Scientology also teaches reincarnation. Uh, Interestingly, General George S. Patton, the famed World War II American general, believed in reincarnation and claimed to remember past lives and actual battles. Now, I'll be providing references for all this in the Facebook Cunning of Geist page. 
Now, let me also add that there's been extensive research into past lives memory done more recently with some pretty astounding results. Ian Stevenson is probably the leading researcher in this field, um, although there are many. He wrote 14 books and countless papers on reincarnation when he was alive and after studying some 3,000 cases of children who claim to remember past lives. However, I must point out there certainly are skeptics uh, of his research. Now, all that is well and good, but I'm proposing here that, that there's a different, better way to explain what is going on than reincarnation. That's to do with memory. We'll get into this in a moment. But first, let's review traditional Western religions' take on this. The other major prevailing view is the Western traditional Christian notion that the soul lives after death and hopefully goes to heaven. Some believe in an actual physical resurrection on earth at some point in the future, all at one time, of those that have lived before. Now, I'm not going to cover all the details here of these various beliefs of, of what happens to us after we die in, in Christianity. Anyone that's been raised in the Western culture is familiar with the concept of the eternity of the soul, etc. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is a model for many uh, as to the world to come. And it gives comfort to many as well regarding their departed loved ones, that they are alive in peace in heaven. However, my take is more Hegelian in nature, as we've discussed before, that the death of Jesus resulted in spirit being reborn in the community here on earth. I do not believe there is a place where disembodied souls go to. And interestingly, some traditional Christians actually believe that the message of Jesus was to bring heaven here on earth. The, the message of St. Paul, according to New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. Now, one more point along these lines. There are those that believe we can speak to those on the other side of death. We've been around forever, and seances were all the rage at one point, and communicating with the dead, actually, with mediums has not gone away. Those that believe this is possible include Thomas Edison, Arthur Conan Doyle, and comedian Dan Aykroyd. Now, I believe there's an explanation for all this as well. Again, it, it lies in, in what I'm going to be explaining about memory. Now, let's get into an explanation here. And I'm going to try to explain what's going on here with the notion of reincarnation, disembodied souls, past life regressions, talking to spirits, and the like. And as I mentioned... I believe this has to do with a concept of memory, inherited memory. Now, let's discuss Carl Jung's notion of collective unconscious first and how this provides an avenue for memory to persist. He explains the collective unconscious as such, quote, My thesis then is as follows. In addition to our immediate consciousness, which is of a thoroughly personal nature and which we believe to be the only empirical psyche, even if we tack on the personal unconscious as an appendix, there exists a second psychic system of a collective, universal, and impersonal nature, which is identical in all individuals. This collective unconscious does not develop individually, but is inherited. It consists of pre-existent forms, the archetypes, which can only become conscious secondarily and which give definite form to certain psychic contents, end quote. Now, concerning these archetypes, Jung writes, I quote again, quote, they evidently live and function in the deeper layers of the unconscious, especially in that phylogenetic substratum, which I have called the collective unconscious. 
This localization explains a good deal of their strangeness. They bring into our ephemeral consciousness an unknown psychic life belonging to a remote past. It is the mind of our unknown ancestors, their way of thinking and feeling, their way of experiencing life in the world, gods, and men. The existence of these archaic strata is presumably the source of man's belief in reincarnations and in memories of previous experiences. Just as the human body is a museum, so to speak, of its phylogenetic history, so too is the psyche, end quote. So now, not only have we experienced physical evolution, we've experienced psychological evolution as well. And Jung is giving us a, um, an explanation of this. A baby born today is the res result of literally millions of years of biological evolution, but also we inherit a whole hi history of tens of thousands of years of human development, of mind development. These manifest as archetypes in our subconscious mind. To quickly review Jung's scheme, we have a conscious mind. Uh, we also have a personal subconscious mind that remembers things in our own life, that forgets things in our own life, that buries things that have happened to us, etc. But deeper than this, there's a collective unconscious. It's a storehouse of memory that we all share. Common Jungian archetypes are the wise old man, the earth mother, the trickster, the shadow, and there are many more. So our mental history, our psychology, according to Jung, stays with us. It builds. Now, is there any scientific backup for this? I, I believe there is. And I wanted to, to discuss two interesting theories. One is biological and the other comes from quantum physics. First, the biological. There's a very interesting concept known as morphic residence, which has been developed by contemporary biochemist Rupert Sheldrake. I'm going to quote him. Morphic resonance is a process whereby self-organizing systems inherit a memory from previous similar systems, and biological inheritance need not all be coded in the genes or in epigenetic modifications of the genes. Much of it depends on morphic resonance from previous members of the species. Thus, each individual inherits a collective memory from past members of the species and also contributes to the collective memory affecting other members of the species in the future, end quote. Importantly, as he states, he believes these memories are carried through a process, and this is what he calls the morphic field, hence morphic resonance. And he also believes there's a greater similarity, and Sheldrake also believes that the greater the similarity that exists between organisms, say between among species, community, culture, tribe, then the greater the effect of the morphic resonance on shared memories. Let me quote Sheldrake again, quote, Morphic fields enables memories to pass across both space and time from the past. The greater the similarity, the greater the influence of morphic resonance. What this means is that all self-organizing systems, such as molecules, crystals, cells, plants, animals, and animal societies, have a collective memory on which each individual draws and to which it contributes. In its most general sense, this hypothesis implies that the so-called laws of nature are more like habits." End quote. Now, he provides plenty of examples for how this occurs, including experiments with rats that show that once certain rats learn a maze, that sub subsequent rats can learn the maze quicker, and even if they're separated by time and space. And this has been shown over decades of experiments. It seems to hold up for crossword puzzles as well. The more people that initially solve a puzzle, the easier it becomes for the rest. And this has been demonstrated as well. And there are many other experiments that have been produced to, to provide evidence in support of this. Now, 
However, unfortunately, the scientific establishment today has largely discredited Sheldrake's work, which is unfortunate. And he believes that the primary reason his work has been rejected has to do with uh, biology itself, the field itself. Let me quote him again. Quote, Within physics, since the quantum revolution and the Big Bang cosmology, there's been a pluralism of ideas with many unexpected possibilities entertained seriously by mainstream physicists. However, in the 20th century, biology moved in an opposite direction towards a more dogmatically materialistic position, end quote. And he suffered because of that. However, there are many believers. Uh, physicist David Bohm, who we discussed here several times, particularly in episode 11, was sympathetic to Sheldrake's work. And they have even recorded discussions together of them. So that's how Jung's collective unconscious could be supported from the biological side. Now, what about from the standpoint of modern quantum physics? Well, there's one physicist who's proposed such a theory, and that's contemporary physicist Lee Smolin. We discussed him before way back in episode three. His theory is called the principle of precedence. And it's essentially that physical laws evolve, much like biological evolution, through a process of memory. Smolin uh, believes that the laws of the universe may have evolved in a cyclical fashion, big bang to big bang, and the quantum physics may show how this is accomplished. Now, you remember the last episode we did, episode 39, was on the cyclicality of the universe, the possible cyclicality of it, of it all. But what I'd like to do now is show how the quantum physics may actually be a method that shows how the universe can build on itself through memory. Let me quote Smolin first. So I developed cosmological natural selection to try to give an evolutionary account of this. Wait, let me back up. Let me quote Smolin first on the the notion of a, a cyclical universe. Quote, so I developed cosmological natural selection to try to give an evolutionary account of this so that there would be a, a history back before the Big Bang in which these numbers could change and evolve through a series of events like the Big Bang. And there could be an explanation akin to natural selection. Just like you want to know why do people have two legs and not three legs or five legs or four legs or six legs. There's an evolutionary reason for that. A certain kind of fitness has been improved over many, many generations. And similarly, there could have been a notion of fitness of the laws of nature over the course of many generations. And cosmological natural selection was an example of a theory of that kind, end quote. Now, how does the selection occur? Enter his principle of precedence. I don't want to get too technical here, but many of you probably know that quantum physics states that there are probabilities that a particle will exist at a particular place and at a particular time, and that it only locks into one of those possibilities once it's measured. Now, Smolin is suggesting that in repeating measurements, the outcome is selected from the outcomes of previous measurements. So there's a building effect, a memory, if you will, of what occurred before. And the future outcome of a measurement will be like one of the previous ones. This continues to occur until the law is locked in, if you will. Eventually, the same result always occurs. It is not like the universe came into existence with laws already in existence, but these laws were created through repeated outcomes and cycles through memory. Let me quote Smolin again, quote, We also propose that laws of quantum evolution arise from a principle of precedence according to which the outcome of a measurement 
on a quantum system is selected randomly from the ensemble of outcomes of previous instances of the same measurement on the same quantum system. This implies that dynamical laws for quantum systems may evolve as the universe evolves because new precedents are generated by the formation of new entangled states, end quote. So there may be a memory in quantum physics which helps determine the actual laws of the universe. And these laws may evolve, continue to evolve cycle to cycle. And these laws produced us, rational human beings that are analyzing what's going on. Now, as I mentioned, none of this yet is established accepted scientific theory. Uh, these are breakthrough ideas that support a notion of collective memory. They also explain much of what the world currently believes regarding soul personalities, reincarnation, and contact with the dead. A collective memory among individuals may be particularly strong in communities that are closely aligned, as Sheldrake suggests, rather than an actual disembodied spirit. Again, I believe they may be tapping into a memory of this person, a, a collective unconscious memory. And each individual can tap into this collective memory to a greater or lesser extent. And this can give the impression of being reborn or having lived in the, in the past. But actually, it is a memory that is reborn, not a disembodied spirit. The past exists within all of us, and we can call on it. And our current lives will be forming a part of the past that will exist for the future. And this is where Hegel's philosophy comes in. It brings us to the last section of this episode. I've covered this a bit already in the introduction, so now I'd like to address Hegel's position by means of answering a question. A listener to this podcast recently asked a question at my Cunning of Guys Facebook page. The question was this, quote, Why am I me? Why should I exist as me and not someone, something else? End quote. Well, here's what I believe and how I would answer this question from the Hegelian perspective. We are all part of the march of history. The purpose is for mind-spirit to become more aware of itself. The creation of the body is due to our physical instincts that are inherited. How we look individually is due to our genes. But we are also thinking rational creatures, and how we think is due to many circumstances. There are many influences, including how we are raised, our broader culture, what was available us to see and read growing up, how our own genetic capabilities played a role as we interacted with our environment in terms of our mental abilities, our emotional capabilities, etc. And we also have an inherent underpinning of symbols, archetypes from the past, a collective memory. All this is within us. And putting this all together, physical, upbringing, past, it makes an individual. Now, the finite physical body comes to an end, but the physical life continues due to procreation. And the individual consciousness or soul personality also comes to an end, but it may have contributed while alive to future generations in terms of how they think, what they believe, etc. So now I don't believe that the individual soul moves on to exist in some other realm. There's no separate heaven. There's no reincarnation of a distinct soul personality into another future being. However, and this is a big but, a person's thoughts, feelings, etc., through their deeds while alive, may continue to exist in future human beings as an inspiration, as a changed and better perception of the world. You know, there's an expression in the Jewish religion that when someone passes on, they say, may their memory be for a blessing. This is what I'm talking about. And this brings me back to the purpose of this podcast, to realize that our minds contain the wisdom of the ages if we choose to acknowledge it. 
We are free to add to this wisdom to continue the evolutionary process, to add to the story through meaningful action by overcoming our finite existence through true infinity, going beyond the given in this lifetime. No, I don't believe in an individual soul personality reincarnating, but I do believe in cosmic rebirth, as we discussed. You know, in a way, each moment is a creative rebirth of the cosmos, a passing away and a coming to be. Well, there was a lot covered here in this episode. That's a wrap for this time. Hopefully we can get into some of these issues in more detail in the future. Thank you so much for listening. All references will be posted at the podcast's Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. And please tell your like-minded friends about this Cunning of Geist podcast and like and share and rate and review where you can. This is Gregory Novak. This is the Cunning of Geist. See you next time.